0: Ray Brown's Talking Birds.
1: Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com.
0: By Vortex Optics, with the VIP warranty. Their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at VortexOptics.com.
1: And Quest Nature Tours, offering expert led small group tours for bird and nature lovers since 1970. Explore exceptional journeys around the world at QuestNatureTours.com
0: and Video Books, an independent, family-owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. VideoBooks.com.
1: Good morning. Welcome to our show number nine hundred fifty-three, in which we'll learn about a wonderful way to enhance our backyard birding experience. When we welcome the leader of Cornell Labs Project Feeder Watch to our show this morning. If you've been listening for a while, you've heard audio postcards here from listeners all over the U.S. and beyond. And today we have one from our Talkin' Birds home state of Massachusetts. It's from Talkin' Birds ambassador Andy Volpe, who spent part of his August combining a little history with birding.
0: Hello, Talking Birds. This is Andy Volpe. I am at the American Heritage Museum in Hudson, Massachusetts, mid-August. There is a living history timeline here. Everything from ancient Romans to uh, modern, uh, World War II. You might hear some of the birds in the background. We're up next to a lake and a small river. A couple years ago when we were here, there was a bald eagle's nest. Um, and the baby was not very happy. Neither were the parents. He kept uh, swarming reenactors for the weekend. It was uh, both amusing and a little annoying, but that's the way it goes. Well, hopefully it will be a pretty good day today. The rain's moved off and the uh, sun's out. It's already getting pretty warm.
1: All right. Thank you, Andy. Thanks for that. History-infused audio postcard. Next week, we'll listen to an inspiring audio postcard from North Carolina. And guess what? We're getting low on audio postcards, so please send us one. It could be from a South African savanna or the Australian outback, or out back at your house, your backyard. That is, anywhere where there's a bird or two. And to make an audio postcard, just grab your phone or maybe some other digital recording device fire up a recording app and describe what you see for 30 seconds to a minute and a half and pick up a little bird song in the process if possible and then send the resulting file to this email address ray at talkingbirds.com that's ray at talkingbirds.com we'll be looking and listening for your audio postcard What we're listening to there is our mystery bird. It's a preview of the mystery bird contest, which we'll do later in the show. But uh, in order to get some calls in before the show ends when we do it, we like to give a little preview of our mystery bird in the contest. Our bird is a small marsh bird with a mostly slate gray body, a brownish back and tail, a black face, and a yellow bill that's kind of candy corn shaped the Cornell lab's all about birds website say this uh, says this bird walks slowly through shallow wetlands a bit like a chicken that has had too much coffee. It nervously flicks its tail while walking, exposing white feathers below. It's also been described as kind of triangular shaped this bird. Our bird breeds across most of the U.S. and Canada. Winters across the southern states and down into Central and South America. Feeds on seeds and aquatic insects. That's our mystery bird. Prizes are beautiful, including the Brome Squirrel Solution 150 Feeder. What's so beautiful about it? Well, it's genuinely squirrel-proof, for one thing. That's pretty beautiful. And it's chew-proof. And it's easy to clean. And it even features a vented seed tray that keeps the seed fresh and dry. All those beautiful things there. And a 12-ounce bag of our favorite coffee. It's delicious bird-friendly birds and beans coffee grown under the natural forest canopy in the neotropics, helping to provide habitat for our birds heading down there this fall. Those are the two big prizes on our mystery bird contest. And if we have time for the bonus question, we'll also help protect your windows from bird crashes with a feather-friendly bird window collision kit. All on our mystery bird contest coming along a little bit later on in the show. Conservation good news of the week in two parts. Part one, the White House has announced an initiative to train more than 20,000 young people in skills crucial to combating climate change. Skills like installing solar panels, restoring coastal wetlands, and retrofitting homes to be more energy efficient. Administration officials say all participants in the program will be paid, although they have not so far disclosed specific salaries. House uh, of the uh, info or the website <laughs> for info is Whitehouse.gov slash climate corps C O R P S That's whitehouse.gov slash climate corps. Conservation Good News Part 2. Some good news about bird conservation. In a story that got lost in the shuffle of last week's show, the Department of the Interior has announced that more than $50 million in funding has been approved to help the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and its partners conserve, restore, or enhance more than 106,000 acres of wetlands and associated upland habitat for waterfowl, shorebirds, and other birds across U.S. Some good news there. Now a little royal salute. On last week's show, we were honored to have the director of the American Bird Conservancy's Birds and Pesticides Program, Hardy Kern, as our guest. And then we were further honored when Hardy signed up as a Talking Birds ambassador, pledging to help get the word out about our show and helping us with our goal of spreading the word about birds in conservation. Thank you, Hardy. And to all Talking Birds listeners, we would be equally honored if you would join our ambassador's family. Easy to sign up for, easy to take part in. For details and a sign-up sheet, just go to the Get Involved tab at com. That's TalkingBirds.com. Still to come today, we'll talk with the leader of a marvelous project to benefit birds through citizen science, the Cornell Lab of Ornithology's Emma Gregg, Will be here to tell us about Project Feeder Watch 2023-24. Also today, Mike O'Connor will join us for a Let's Ask Mike live subject on the topic of puffins. And up next, a battling little bird that punches way above its weight class is today's Talkin' Birds featured feathered friend. You Today's Featured Feathered Friend might be the feistiest fighter since Yosemite Sam. It's a hummingbird known for its relentless attacks on other hummers, including the bigger ones with whom it shares some of its far west territory. Our bird is the medium-sized Rufus hummingbird. The male is bright rufous brown overall, with a white breast and ear patch a red-orange throat, green shoulders, and a round, black-edged, rufous-colored tail. The female has green upper parts, rufous sides and undertail, and a gray and white throat with an orange-red spot. This wide-ranging Hummer makes one of the longest migratory journeys of any bird in the world, as measured by body size, and breeds farther north than any other hummingbird up through northwest Canada and southeast Alaska. It's seen all through the western U.S. in migration to and from southern Mexico, in spring in California, in summer in the Pacific Northwest and Alaska, and in fall in the Rocky Mountains, as the bird makes its annual western circuit. They're even seen occasionally in the eastern U.S., especially in the fall, and many winter in the Gulf Coast states. Rufus hummers will visit backyard flowers and feeders, hovering with wings, flapping it up to 60 beats per second, although they tend not to stick around for long, and may chase away other visiting hummer species. It's the fast-flapping, wide-ranging, West Coast feisty fighter, Selasphorus rufus, the rufous hummingbird. Welcome again to our show number nine hundred and um let me check uh, nine hundred and fifty three Project Feeder Watch is described as a way to turn our love of birds into scientific discoveries and to tell us more about Project Feeder Watch, which begins again soon, is Project Leader Emma Gregg. Good morning, Emma.
2: Good morning, Ray. Thanks for having me.
1: You, well, you're welcome. It's great to have you back after four years, I believe, since we had you on the show.
2: I can't believe it's been so long.
1: <laughs> but that's really kind of a very small uh, part of the time Project Feeder Watch has been going. Is it 30 years, maybe, something like that?
2: More like 35. 35 Yeah, five years. it's been going on for quite a while. It's a, a wonderful, long-standing program.
1: Uh-huh. I guess it has proved itself. This is a project that puts an emphasis on ease of participation In flexibility, as the project description states, count your birds for as long as you like on days of your choosing. And here's the real kicker. You don't even need a feeder. That's pretty flexible. especially it for, sure is. <laughs> for something called Project Feeder Watch. Um, yeah,
2: that's right. We've been trying to promote this no uh-huh. feeder approach, but it's not too easy with a name like Feeder Watch. So thanks for helping me yeah, spread the just, word about that a little bit.
1: Michael O'Connor is not going to like that because he sells feeders, but that's a whole other story. Well, let's say What I want to know is how is usable data obtained given that it's so flexible? People can sort of do it here and there and whenever, and how does that turn into good data?
2: well i'll tell you mathematics is just a uh, real wonderful thing and you can t- <laughs> take a bunch of bird counts from all different times mm-hmm. and all different places and by using math you can correct for the amount of time people watched mm-hmm. and the places that they watched and come up with really beautiful patterns about how bird populations are changing
1: okay it always seems it comes back to math Well, there's a fee of uh, $18 to take part in the project, which starts in November. Uh, But lots of goodies are included. I wonder if you would detail those for us, Emma. And I believe there's a special incentive for folks to sign up here in September.
2: There is. Yeah, well, with every um, membership, people can have the option of getting a beautiful bird identification poster with birds uh, from the east on one side and from the west on the other a calendar that's great for scheduling your bird counts, or anything you want, your appointments, whatever. Mm-hmm. But in September, we're also sending people a beautiful new poster that was just um, created by one of the art interns at the lab ornithology that's all about garden plants that you can put out for birds. So beautiful poster, really um trying to also spread this idea that there are lots of ways to support birds in your yard other than just having bird feeders
0: mm-hmm.
1: that is i've been looking at that poster it really really is sweet um did you mention this also as one of the and this is not just for september but digital access to uh living bird magazine uh which is that's a, right a, an amazing I, yeah. magazine
2: Yeah, that's right. I didn't mention that, but it's a gorgeous magazine, and this is one way to to get a peek at it is by joining Feeder Watch.
1: Okay, so that and the calendar, double-sided poster of Eastern and Western common feeder birds, year-end summary winter bird highlights, and if you sign up in September, uh, that very special... calendar. that? How do we describe it again, that one for September?
2: Oh, uh, pla- it's a a poster about native garden plants for birds.
1: And they're all on there. We've got uh, roof, um, rose-breasted grosbeaks beaks on there and Baltimore Orioles and all kinds of beautiful birds and the plants. So Cornell Lab has a partner in the Project Feeder Watch Survey. It's Birds Canada. And um, Canada's where the whole thing started, right?
2: It sure did. It started in the 70s in Canada. a biologist named Erica Dunn, thought, gosh, you know, so many folks are putting out bird feeders and feeding their birds in winter. Why don't we ask them to just tell us what they see? Mm -hmm. Send in those observations. Mm -hmm. So that's really how it started was uh, just someone thinking, let's put one thing together with another. And Little, I bet she didn't think it would end up being still going <laughs> yeah. now, forty-five years later.
1: <laughs> wow! Well, in all that time, I wonder if you could give a summary in a very short bit of time, uh, <laughs> Emma, about some of the most important things that have been learned uh, in all those years that Project Feeder Watch has been around.
2: Now, that's a tough question because there've been about thirty, forty papers that have mm-hmm. come from Feeder Watch data. But I was thinking, like, what's a good summary of this? And I think. Yeah. You know, whether you're looking at invasive species or disease dynamics or range expansions, the theme that always kind of comes out to me is that what we do, what people do in our own yards has a big impact collectively on mm-hmm. birds and their well-being. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the theme that's come from a lot of the feeder watch work.
1: Yeah. So the information, the data, but the actual doing of the activity uh, in, in our individual yards.
2: Yeah, it's how we maintain our yards, the mm-hmm. kind of habitat that we provide, mm-hmm. the foods we provide. So, yeah, we have a big impact.
1: You have a, a big revamp of data entry that you were telling me about. What tell, Give us a bit of an idea of that.
2: Well, we sure do. And it actually, it, it kind of stems from that very theme of how we have an impact on birds. Mm-hmm. Part of what this grant and the, the revamp of the feeder watch is going to try to figure out is, what kind of impact do birds have on our well-being? Mm-hmm. So we're going to be looking at all kinds of things that are happening in people's yards, sick birds that show up, mammals. Now you can report mammals through Feeder watch, mm-hmm. the sorts of management activities you do. There's going to be so much more that we're going to be able to, to study and understand about the whole dynamic between people and birds in their yards.
1: This is one of those things where you say, why would you not want to sign up uh, for this? Really, so hey. many. So, <laughs> lots, of good re- exactly. lots of good reasons there. Give us a little recap, Emma, on the best way for people to sign up and why uh, now is the time to do it.
2: Well, now's a great time because we've got a whole new system coming up this fall. We've got a beautiful poster you can get if you sign up before the end of September. And the best place to do it is on our website, which is www.feederwatch.org
1: feederwatch.org. I think we got it. Emma Gregg is project director for the Cornell Labs and Bird Canada's project, FeederWatch. feederwatch.org. Emma, thanks for being on the show, and best wishes for a fabulous feeder watch.
2: Thank you so much. <laughs> Appreciate it.
1: <laughs> Emma Gregg here on Talking Birds, and up next, it's our mystery bird contest in just one minute the flutter of a tail feather the flash of a wing bar in mid-flight you don't always have a lot of time to identify a bird in nature let alone to appreciate its beauty but with vortex optics you'll have the power to bring every wild moment closer when you choose vortex you're choosing to have a partner in the field as passionate about nature as you are whether you're spotting old friends on the backyard feeder or packing for a -a once-in-a-lifetime trip to add a few species to your life list Vortex offers a full range of optics and optics accessories for every birder and every budget. And whether the birds are taking you to another state or another country, you're always covered by the Vortex VIP warranty, an unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. If you'd like to learn more or if you need help choosing your next optic, give Vortex a call at 1-800-4-Vortex or visit VortexOptics.com. It's our mystery bird we're hearing there. It's our mystery bird contest. And here's an important note for future mystery bird contests. If you're not hearing our show live and would like to, so you could enter our mystery bird contest, for example, just go to talkingbirds.com, no G, and talking, and you'll see how to do it. It's very easy. Our live broadcast, by the way, is on Sunday mornings, 930 to 10 Eastern. Our mystery bird is a small marsh bird with a mostly slate-gray body, kind of triangular-shaped is one way it's been described, this bird, a brownish back and tail, a black face, and a yellow bill that's sort of candy corn-shaped. The Cornell Lab's All About Birds website says that this bird walks slowly through shallow wetlands a bit like a chicken that has had too much coffee nervously flicking its tail and exposing the white tail feathers below. Our bird breeds across most of the U.S. and Canada, winters across the southern states and down into Central and South America, and feeds on seeds and aquatic insects. Tell us what that bird is, or take a guess on account of, even if we don't get a right answer, an almost right answer will perhaps be our winner, because we'll do a drawing if there's no exact correct answer Uh, to the identity of our bird. So give us a call. Either way, at 781-837-4900. Do it as soon as you can. That's 781-837-4900. Meanwhile, puffins is the word with Mike O'Connor. It's Let's Ask Mike live in just one minute.
2: What's one of your favorite memories? (laughs) That's a tough question. Um... Well, there was this one time I went camping with my parents in a forest back when I was maybe like eight or nine. And um, I can remember one night we were in our hammocks and we were just, you know, watching the trees rustling in the wind above us and we could hear the sounds of the forest all around us. Frogs singing and owls calling and the creek running nearby. It was amazing. It felt like we were a part of it all. I don't know if I do it justice trying to describe it, but I'll definitely never forget it.
0: Most of us have a memory of being in nature we'll never forget. Let's protect the world's natural places so more memories can be made
2: for generations to come. Visit worldwildlife.org.
1: Mike O'Connor down there at the famous Birdwatchers General Store in beautiful Orleans on fabulous Cape Cod. And us here with our Let's Ask Mike Thing. And good morning, Mike.
0: Let's Ask Mike Thing. I like that.
1: Yeah, that's the new name. I guess we got to tell you that. The Mike Thing something we just came up with. I hope you like it. I mean, uh, no, it's
0: very, uh, very clever. It's yeah, yeah that thing. very it had, well thought out. I has like an,
1: that. It has a nice ring to it. Um, We are reading here that this uh, some false information. Apparently, I see this note that I wrote that puffins can actually carry as many as 60 sand lances in in its beak at the same time to bring to their chicks. That can't really be true, right? This is kind of a misprint I I got here. No, it's
0: not true. What else do you want to talk about?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, moving along then, (laughs) yes.
0: No, I know last week you mentioned, I think it was last week's show, you mentioned how, the puffins in the Gulf of Maine had an exceptionally good breeding year after a couple of stinky years, yeah. and one of them was the uh, you know a good population of sand lances. Those little tiny fish we used yeah. to call them sand eels, but they mm-hmm. do breed in the bottom of the ocean, right in the sand. But they're not they're not really eels, so they call them sand lances. Mm-hmm. And it was a good year. But the amazing thing is, people would ask me. Because you always get that iconic picture, every photographer gets a picture of a puffin on a rock holding like a dozen fish in its mouth, and and how can it catch that many fish? Because uh, like a pelican will dive down in a school of fish and scoop them all up at once, but the, the puffin has to catch them one at a time. And if you put like a stick in, in a dog's mouth, and then the dog carries a stick, if it wants to pick up another stick, it has to drop the first stick, because the stick gets in the way, it's, you know... The, a, dog's mouth is wide at the front but tapers down in the back mm. and so when it closes his teeth down on it, it it can't get the other stick because it, it funnels down on the back so what the puffins do the puffins beak doesn't have that funneling down in the back it's not narrow in the back like if you took your fingers and made like scissors it's narrow towards the back well puffins mm. don't work that way it's that actually the beaks kind of go up and down parallel to each other. Yeah. So they can kind of hold a lot of fish without the first fish getting in the way. When they dive down, they swim around, they catch a fish, and then they walk in, into their top beak with their mandible with, and has these uh, barbs facing backwards and push the fish up there. And then oh. they can grab another fish and then another fish and do the same mechanism. Uh, and, and usually it's ten or a dozen fish they use to mm-hmm. fly back to the... Um, their breeding colony with, but they, they, yeah, I think yeah, Scotland. From one bird has as many as sixty. You know, I don't know who. Wow. It may be. You know, I don't know if they counted them or they had to take the puffins' <laughs> word for it. But as many as <laughs> sixty at a time. But that's the, the trouble with the, the puffins. Is, is these sand lances, which are really important, where the puffins' uh, breeding colonies and where they nest, they have strong fidelity. So the male goes right back to the same burrow every year. The sand lances don't do that. So, their populations fluctuate, and they breed different areas at different times of the year and this year it was a real real good year for breeding for the puffins, mm-hmm. so they their population grew, and hopefully it 'll continue that way and here 's a little bit of information, according to what I read is the puffin name came from why? Because the puffin chicks are so fat and puffy. They, that's where the name came from. So that's a little bit of an adorable tidbit <laughs> that the puffin bird has named on their fat puffy chicks when they have so they have that that's a story with Let's that. Say, wow. And then next week, Ray, yeah. it's going to be more exciting because I think the Finch forecast is coming out. The Finch forecast, the, the Tyler Hork is out every year tells yeah. us when the we, unusual birds coming down from Canada, so let's look forward
1: to that. Yeah, will you have something really puffy, cute to, to that then for that, too? <laughs> uh, you know, I get
0: one cute story here, yeah, that's Pierre. it. All right. uh, we'll look yeah.
1: forward to it. Nonetheless, Mike, talk to you next week. Okay, sounds
0: cool. Yep, bye-bye.
1: Mike O'Connor there from the famous Bird Watchers General Store in Cape Cod, and we're back here at the uh, the Mystery Bird Contest. 781-837-4900 is the number to call. What is that bird? Uh, Just quickly uh, for clues there, it's a small marsh bird with a slate gray body, or mostly slate gray. Brownish back and tail, a black face, and a yellow bill that's candy corn shaped. Roxanne is somewhere in the great commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Good morning, Roxanne. Good morning. I have that right. There's no, don't I count? It's a commonwealth. Pennsylvania is called a commonwealth. Am I right?
0: Actually, yes, it is.
1: Massachusetts, Virginia. And Pennsylvania, I think, are the three. Uh, but uh, don't take my word for it. But anyway, <laughs> Roxanne, what do you think on the mystery bird there? I think it's a sora. A sora. Just one short little four-letter word there. Sora is absolutely right. Yes, nice word. Sora, that fascinating little marsh bird with the bill that looks like a little candy corn, except that it's uh, it's all yellow. Hey, we have uh, a little extra time here for um, a bonus question, if you'd be uh, willing to try it. Okay. You want to try it? uh, At stake is the feather-friendly window collision kit, bird window collision kit, that will protect uh, from birds crashing into your windows. And here's the multiple-choice question, Roxanne. From 2020 to 22. U.S. birders spent maybe as much as $476,000 to do what? A, to go on birding tours to Central and South America. B, to travel to see the stellar sea eagle on its journey across North America. Or C, to buy gift certificates for the Bird Watcher's general store. Those would be your three options there. I think it's the third one. Oh, boy. Yeah. What do you think?
0: Um... Central I'll or South say,
1: America or North America for the stellar sea eagle? I'll say A. A would be for the uh, Central and South America uh, for the... No, oh, no.
2: <laughs>
1: uh, if it's any consolation, I think I probably would have guessed that as well, but it was to see the stellar sea eagle. People are so excited about all those sightings of that incredibly magnificent bird, and there's still been some sightings again pretty recently, if I'm not mistaken, was up in northern Maine or maybe Nova Scotia. We'll have to check on that and report back uh, next week about that. But in any case, uh, say that again. I've heard about that, but I didn't think that many people
0: would go to see that. Who, that
1: who, who, Who would have thunk it? Well, you win those other beautiful prizes, Roxanne, and if you'll stay on the line, Jesse will get your info and we'll send that stuff out to you. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Roxanne. Uh, correctly, uh, back at the mystery bird contest, uh, identifying the Sora as our mystery bird. Thanks so much for being with us. We are a plum out of time for this week. We have an exciting guest next week, also from the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. Hugh Powell will be here with us talking about that remarkable website we referenced earlier, All About Birds. See you next week.
0: The bird show, I like that that. Ray Brown's Talking Birds
1: Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store Orleans, Cape Cod BirdWatchersGeneralStore.com
0: By Vortex Optics With the VIP warranty Their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered Learn more at VortexOptics.com And UDO Books An independent, family-owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world.